Greet all of you in the name of Jesus this morning. It is a blessing to be here with our church family. I have a little different message this morning in the fact that I'm going to be doing a little bit of a book report that I recently read a book that impressed me and was a deep need in my life. I was struggling to, I often like to have a introductory passage of scripture as I, as I begin a message, because I don't have a text this morning, but as Maynard was reading the story of Job, Job 1 there, or was it 2? I forget now. <laughs> Job 1, I believe. Um, it struck me that that would have been an excellent introductory message, introductory scripture for this message today, and perhaps by the end of the message you'll understand. The title of my message is With. Tyler, you promised me a new battery. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> and, and I get the, the message, uh, the title, uh, from a book. And if you would see this book on the shelf, you probably wouldn't pick it up. I wouldn't either. It looks pretty, looks pretty bland, doesn't it? With. <laughs> yeah. Not even very attractive or anything. Um, but I was introduced to this book uh, at uh, a pastor's day that Grace, Heaven, Grace Haven put on in January, I think it was. And James Yoder highly recommended it. James said it sat on my desk for months because it looked really boring. <laughs> and uh, that is kind of the case. This book was copyrighted in 2011. The uh, name of the author is Sky Jathani. Sky was a managing editor of Leadership Journal at the time. It's a journal, it's a magazine that I subscribed to and I found very helpful. And I was very disappointed when they discontinued uh, producing that, that book. So, that magazine. Um, so the message today is mostly from this book. I've, some of it will be verbatim from of it. Some of it is my thoughts and, and uh, my thoughts intermingled in there. Now let me say real quickly, that this book is not divinely inspired, okay? And, and every human author, uh, you, you have to, you know, uh, get what you can from it. And, and, uh, and I don't totally agree with everything that he says, but he says some things that resonated with my spirit, and that's why I'm sharing this message this morning. Basically, the book uh, that Sky writes here, he uses four prepositions to describe how people generally view God and their relationship with God. And those four are these, um, life over God, life from God, life for God, and life under God. And I'm going to look just very briefly at the, very, at the first two but spend a little more time at the second two because 
those are more ones that that I think we we look at um, and life over God basically life over God is a person who does not really need God um, whether a non-believer or a professing believer he simply lives his life by certain uh, proven formulas and controllable outcomes uh, which may work very well in the business world and pastors and church leaders have used to build a successful church or a empire uh, that they simply, simply follow proven marketing strategies. And they work, and people come, and, and there's, there's strategies that work. And, and basically, they don't need God um, because the marketing strategies work. Secondly, life from God. Such a person views God as a holy vending machine sitting up there in the sky. You know, God is all about just blessing us, right? He's just wanting to pour out his blessings on us. And, and so uh, he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be successful. And so when you need something, you simply ask. I'm reminded... <coughs> came to my mind uh, back before the Great Recession. And if you're under 30 here, you don't hardly remember the Great Recession, but I do. And uh, from about 2003 to 2007, I was doing plumbing for a, a small builder that was, that was selling houses as fast as he could build them, and he was making a lot of money. One day, he was a believer, one day we were discussing that, Something, uh, some need that, that, I forget what it was. And he said, well, just call it in. Just call it in. That's what God wants, right? Just call it in. That's the, called the prosperity gospel. And we're familiar with that, but I don't think we hear it taught much in our circles. So I'd like to move to life for God. And life for God, the primary concern is how to best serve God. And I should have said at the beginning that these four prepositions, all of them come up just a little short, and you'll see this later here. Serving brings significance to our lives, does it not? Yes, it does. It brings significance. It gives us meaning. And we want our lives to matter, and we, we hold up and revere people who who give their lives in maybe a full-time, full life of missionary work. Uh, think of a person like Wayne Schrock and David Hirschberger, um, those, those men. We revere those people. Uh, we see a life of service as, uh, as the ultimate. And I like to say very quickly that this posture and this way of thinking uh, has truth to it, and certainly has roots in Scripture. I'd like to have you consider this parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 24, verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, servanthood is absolutely a part, should be a part, of every believer's life. In fact, this is given in the setting, I believe, uh, when Jesus is starting to talk about end times, about later he talks in, in Matthew 25 about the, the judgment. And so there is definitely roots in Scripture for us to be servants. And a, probably the greatest example of being a servant is the Apostle Paul. Uh, I don't know of anyone uh, who, would, who you could point to as a greater example of a servant of Jesus Christ. And Paul identifies himself as servant in his letters to the Romans, to the Philippians, and to Titus. In Philemon, he, he identifies himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now take you to this passage in 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, I don't have it up there. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Nope. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ or servants of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundantly, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Can anyone else measure up to that? I don't know any of us that comes anywhere close to the life of Apostle Paul. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ to the max. I'd like to take you to this scripture in Philippians. And this is what he says. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Why did he consider all these things lost? 
because it didn't, he didn't want it to interfere with knowing his Lord. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Is there any question that Christ was number one in his life and that servanthood was only an outworking of his pursuit of Christ. One more scripture, Matthew 25, 37 to 40. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see the, you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now I, I know that, that perhaps the, the thing that we need to get from this scripture is indeed that when we serve Christ, we serve others. But if you read between the lines here, doesn't it almost appear that the righteous were serving Christ unconsciously just automatically it wasn't something that they were consciously thinking about it just flowed from their lives can't you kind of read that in there and I believe that is the kind of service that's where servanthood actually should flow from a warning from Jesus Matthew 7 22 to 23 many will say to me in that day Lord Lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness good works outward righteousness does not equate knowing your Lord. In fact, you can be an outward, religious, do-good person and be an enemy of, the, of Christ. And what was the key? He says, I never knew you. So what's important? Serving Christ, knowing Christ. Serving Christ first, or knowing Christ first, then serving. Because you can serve without knowing. That is the warning. Let's move to life under God. This view, as Jathani says it, he says, as we obey God's commands, listen carefully, as we obey God's commands, he blesses our lives, our families, and our nation. The primary focus is determine, to determine what God approves and disapproves and live our lives within those boundaries. Does that sound conservative Anabaptist? Yeah. Let me say it again. 
The primary focus is determine what God approves and disapproves and live our lives within those boundaries. The you along, uh, let me just say that we, uh, we are lived by the book people. I'm one, absolutely. And again, it, there is truth. In fact, it has roots in Scripture, especially when you go to the Old, the old Covenant, the Old Testament. Uh, now, right now, those of you who are doing the one-year Bible, you're, you're reading through Deuteronomy, which is the law repeated. And uh, I read those, the law, and I say, wow. Glad we're living in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. But one thing that's wrapped up in the, in the law is very much the idea that obey me and things will go well. Disobey me and they won't. Absolutely. The book of the law, the book of the, of the prophets, that is woven throughout the Old Covenant. What about today? What about us as New Testament, New Covenant believers? Well, we're not under the law. But we do have the New Testament. We do have the Sermon on the Mount that is filled with practical living. We have the epistles that are loaded with Applications for holy living. And I'm just going to take you to 1, Galatians 5, for example, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be tangled again with the yoke of bondage. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but faith through love. Verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a list of don'ts. It is. And we do well to pay attention to such a list. We also do well to pay attention to this list, because, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. What's he saying in this passage? He's saying clearly that, that, that Christ brings, brings freedom. Living in the Spirit brings freedom and living in the flesh is bondage no question very clear
So life under God, which we said is the view that as we obey God's command, he blesses our lives, our family, and our nation. And when we disobey, he doesn't. Truth. But it comes up just a little short from the ideal. Because, well, we can get into the, the thought process that when things, must go, when things go well, we must be doing good. And when things don't go well, there must be something wrong in my life. That may be the case, but not necessarily the case. Go to John 9, 1 to 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God be revealed in him. Now, does sin have consequences? Absolutely. Yes, it does. But just because something's going bad for somebody does not mean that person is in sin. And just because things are going good for a person does not mean that man must be holy. No. And that is the, the warning that I have that, that we can, with this process of thinking where, where if I do right, God will bless, and if I do wrong, God will curse. There is some truth to that, but it is, it is not the total truth. Take you to Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What I want us to get from this is we listen to his sayings. We follow his sayings. But guess what? The rains still come. The floods come. The winds blow. We're beaten. But our house will stand. Versus the person who ignores Jesus' teaching, his house will fall. His house will fall. So adversity will come. There will be mistreatment. There will be diseases. There will be financial crises. But your house will stand. So where does this view come up? Just a little short. It comes up short when we try to control God by saying, God, I'm doing my part. Why aren't you doing yours? That's where it comes up a little short. I do my part, God. Now you do yours. That's where it can come up short. Well, Sky Jathani says there is one other position, one other thought, viewpoint of, of viewing God, and that is life with God. And that's why the title of the book and he says it's the best and ultimate and only focus that will truly satisfy. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is a thought that I, I give totally to, to Sky. Um, and, and his thought was that from this verse, 
The fact that Jesus was with God and the word was God, what he got out of this verse was that this verse shows us that God exists in relationship with himself. Now, I'm still trying to digest that. Um, but God exists in a relationship with himself. And it's an easy, for me, it was an easy jump to go from there then to say that God created humans to also live in relationship with him. Not as people that he could control or people that he could just bless necessarily, but people, human beings, that he could live in relationship with himself. And I believe that was the intent. And I believe that at the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what has happened. There was open, perfect relationship with, between Adam and Eve and their maker. And we know that sin shattered that perfect, free, open relationship. It broke that perfect relationship. And the law came as a way to set aside that sin for a time, to set it aside, to cover it, and a way for man to relate to God. It's called, uh, well, I'll leave it at that was the law, but the law was what? It was, it was to bring us to, show us our, our undoneness and bring us to Christ. And Jesus' death and resurrection resulted in a permanent removal of sin, resulted in a restored relationship with God. And that is called justification. And of course, that relationship still has um, we're still in earthly bodies but one day we won't be and it'll be perfect rest restored and that's called glorification so life with God is a life of relationship and Sky says this he believes that the other four views of God are really end up being us as number one, a better life, a better outcome, better for us. Not all wrong, but comes just a little short. When we view God as a person to live in relationship with, then the goal is God himself. The goal is God himself take you to this passage Matthew 13 verses 44 to 46 again the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. These are pictures of people totally sold out for a relationship with Christ, I believe. If we, if our faith, listen, if our faith is merely a means to escape hell, it's a very shallow faith our relationship with God will be shallow and our 
view of God will be faulty. I got a quote here from John Piper that really struck me. I'm going to put it up here in the wall. I think I have it here. Nope, I don't. Listen to what it says. John Piper says this. Oh, I do think I, I think I do have it here. I'm sorry. John Piper. People who will be happy in heaven if Christ, who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. Well, now that struck me. This is not scripture. This is not divinely inspired. This is a man saying this. But as I read, I read that quote, people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Wow. And I can only assume, and I haven't read where this quote comes from. I haven't read around this quote. But I can only assume that John is saying how will you be in heaven? By a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the and a relationship of the kind that you would be very disappointed. It wouldn't even be worth it if Christ was not there. That struck me. Would you be happy in heaven if Christ were not there? Again, like I said, this is not divinely inspired, but it struck me. And I had to think when, when, it, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was his response? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest one. Everything flows from that. And that speaks of relationship. And I believe it, that was actually what God wanted in the Old Testament. For the Old Testament saints was relationship in spite of the law. You cannot love someone, true love, without a relationship with them. You cannot love Jesus Christ without a relationship with him, knowing him, experiencing him. And that's where I'd like for us to, to go with this message. What, when it comes right down to it, what really matters? Yes, it's important that you serve. Yes, it's important that we obey. But it needs to flow from relationship. And it struck me between the eyes because I'll be the first to admit that I struggle 
with a deep relationship. You know, one thing that, that, that Sky then does at the end of his book, he gives just a few pointers in growing in, in this view. And one of, the, one of the things that he says, and this is in my words, not his, he says, view Bible reading and prayer as communion. Not just as communication. View Bible reading and prayer as communion. So when you read your Bible, that you're communing with God. When you're praying, that you're communicating. You're, commu you're in communion, not just communication, not just, not just listening and, and, and sharing, but that you're having fellowship. And that's probably what struck me between the eyes. He says this, building our connection with God on morality, knowledge, gifts, or service makes little sense in the light of eternity when all these will pass away. I'm still digesting that statement. This is verbatim from the book. Building our connection with God on morality, knowledge, gifts, or service makes little sense in the light of eternity when all these will pass away. Again, we need knowledge. We were called to, we have gifts. We're called to service. We're called to morality. But that does not, in of itself, build a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is where it is at. So again, what is your view of relating to God? Is he a big, holy vending machine? Life from God? Is your view, obey him and things will go well with you? Life under God. Or is it, serve him? And life will have meaning. Life for God. Or is it pursue a relationship with him which will bring peace, joy, comfort, and strength. When Maynard read that passage from Job this morning and all those things that happened to Job, and Job was able to say, Naked I came, naked I'll go, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, as an Old Testament saint, had to have had a relationship with his Lord. Had to, in order to respond like that. And as I considered that, I said, God, increase my faith. Pursue God. The rest will flow. Pray with me. Father God, we pause in your presence. We worship you. You are God. You are holy. You are just. You are our maker, our creator, our sustainer. And you made a way for us to live in relationship with you. 
And Father, I confess, we confess, that so often we allow other things to come in and damage that relationship. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would take these thoughts, these scriptures, that you would speak to us, that we would hear from you, and that everyone here in this building today would seek a relationship with you, that it would be the goal of our lives, and that from that, our lives would flow. Direct us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.